You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. My name is Maria. I did basic research for several years, uh, focusing on the mechanisms of drugs of abuse. I'm currently um, doing clinical practice, uh, working with, with kids. about cannabis is dedicated to providing reliable cannabis science education to anyone curious enough to learn. To get access to free courses and other educational resources, visit learn.cacpodcast.com and become a Curious About Cannabis member for free. The Curious About Cannabis book provides an incredible crash course in cannabis science through over 500 pages of content filled with photos, activities, science experiments, games, and more to help guide you through your personalized cannabis education journey. This book has become a trusted textbook in colleges and universities across North America and is absolutely perfect for serious learners as well as cannabis educators, bud tenders, clinicians, patients, and caregivers. And special thanks to the many individuals, companies, and organizations that have helped Curious About Cannabis meet our mission of becoming the number one trusted source of cannabis science education on the planet. This includes organizations like Credo Science with Ethan Russo, The Conigma, Treadwell Farms, The Spellman Report with Kevin Spellman, The Workshop, Green Earth Medicinals, CBD National, Magnolia Botanicals, and more. Visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsors to learn about our sponsors and go show them some love for helping us spread cannabis science education far and wide to anyone curious enough to learn. If you like Curious About Cannabis, consider checking out some of these other learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises. Life mysterious and ephemeral. Breathtaking, yet fierce and unyielding. Grounding, yet transcendent. It's a curious thing. Let's explore it together. Isn't life curious? Available at isn'tlifecurious.com or wherever you experience podcasts. And now, back to the show. Hey everybody, this is Jason with Curious About Cannabis. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. So today we are talking about a very interesting study that I came across, um, particularly because from my interview with Dr. A.D. Ray that you may have heard several episodes back. Um, but we're here to talk about a very interesting study that um, focuses on how CBD, high CBD cannabis vapor influences um, opioid-seeking behaviors. Um, super, super, super fascinating. So I'm here with Dr. Maria 
Rivera Garcia, who was the lead author on this study. The name of the study is called High CBD Cannabis Vapor Attenuates Opioid Reward and Partially Modulates Nociception in Female Rats. Um, there's a lot to dive in here. So, Maria, thank you so much for carving out the time to uh, join me today and talk all about the study. Um, I think there are so many interesting nuances to the study. I'm really excited to break it down and and expose this to our audience. I think they're gonna love it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited, you know, just to be here with your audience. I've been listening to your podcast. So yeah, I know that you have like a wide variety of topics. So yeah, it's exciting just to, you know, like go over the paper and yeah, um, I don't know, it's kind of recent the paper. So yeah, it, it's a good exercise for me as well, just to, you know, go over again and, I mean, I, I, I was the, the main author, but it's just still like every time I read it, it's just like, oh, you know, this is, this is nice to read again. And there is new questions coming well, like, out and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. When you, when you go through the kind of tornado of research and publishing, I think people sometimes underestimate just how chaotic that process can yeah. be. And when you get to the other side and then you... Even after the paper comes out sometimes, you're like, okay, I know that it came out, but I'm still working on other stuff. And, and then you go back and you read it, and sometimes it even feels like, who, who did this work? Was that me? Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's totally true. Like, oh, did I do this? Really? Yeah. 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 Well, and it, to, to highlight a couple of points of why I think this study is special, and and, and then we'll, we'll start to kind of get into you know what the study actually was. But a couple of main points. This was a study with a preclinical study with rodents, but particularly it was with female rats. Right. Um, and so do you mind explaining a little bit, why did the study focus on female rats? Because this really touches on a kind of a major philosophical issue in biomedical research that goes way beyond cannabis. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm going to give you a little bit of you know, like why I start, why I started doing research uh, with females. Yeah. And it, so I'm from Mexico City. Uh, I did all my, <clears throat> uh, my, pretty much my academic, you know, studies there. I did a PhD in neuropharmacology and I started being interested just to study the mechanisms of drugs of abuse. Uh, then I, uh, I moved here. I was working for three years in the Mogadam lab. Um, you know, like I was very, very interested in studied uh, sexual differences in the mechanisms related to reward, you know, like um, yeah. uh, release of dopamine, you know, like different uh, motivated behaviors. Um, so I started there just, you know, like starting, I started, <clears throat> sorry, <coughs> I started doing research just like studying sex, uh, sex differences. And then for different reasons, I, you know, I felt like my, my time in Mogdam lab finished and then I found 80 <clears throat> and because of my background doing like, um, vapor inhalation studies and because she was also interested, you know, having a postdoc because she was starting her lab. Um, so we, yeah. we, we found each other in the perfect time. And I told her, like, I'm really, really interested doing, like, sexual differences. Continued, like, doing this research. And she was like, oh, that's what I do. So um, we started doing that. And this is a very, you know, um, 
from my point of view, I needed to do this um, switch in science in the sense like, or this change, I will say this change in science because, you know, like all the years I was doing research, it was just males, males, males. And just just like wasting the the females. And it's super sad, you know, like I know there is a lot of ethical issues and a lot of groups now that uh, they don't like our researchers, you know, but especially yeah, when sure. we are just wasting animals just because they are females, it just like doesn't make any sense. And uh, and why is that? Can you explain to folks that um, are kind of unfamiliar with how animal research happens and all of that? Like, why is that the case? Well, historically, it has been, you know, like because the the main justification it was because there is a lot of variability because of sexual hormones so either sure, okay. like um uh it, the way for several ye- years the way that like researchers approach that was just to take the um uh the gonads you know like just remove the source mm-hmm. of variability and then they, they they could use uh, females, but that implied, you know, like um, technical abilities, uh, more time in your research, and they were not, you know, like willing just to do it. Uh, so yeah. it was, let's, let's just focus on males. Um, but now, like in recent years, probably like 10 years ago, they started going more to this other approach, like, we are trying to do translational research. And I, I mean, I understand like the main focus of basic research is just to generate knowledge. But, you know, like this trending to do uh, translational research is really, really important because we cannot continue doing just basic research and don't talk to the, to the right. outside world. Um, yep. So, yeah. Uh, there is some like studies now showing that there is also a lot of variability in males, you know, because they have dominance, because they right. have different, you know, like levels of testosterone. It's just like um, based also on the simple, 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 simple characteristics like the weight. You know, there is dominance because like the bigger male is just like uh, so. Um, there is now like this idea in in science just to include, you know, like. Um, like a representative um, sample of what what's happening also yeah. in humans, and yeah, there is a lot of variability also in 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 between animals. It's just like we cannot just you know like focus on males uh, or like overectimize yeah. the, the 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 females and then just study them. So well, it's kind of a like a a series of um, kind of uh, mistaken assumptions leading to um, a lot of misrepresentation in a lot of the data that that does come out because that's immediately what I was thinking is like well one there is that there is variation in males it's just not always I think sometimes we just assume there's not um, because it's not as uh, I guess a dramatic presentation so to speak Um, you know you don't see it so much on the outside um, in terms of like menstruation and stuff like that um, but there are all of those those variables. And then I think a lot of people don't understand that in so much preclinical research that's been done up until recent decades, um, that there really has not been that representation of even even on the the rodent, you know, organism level. 
um, of females. I think there's just a lot of people in the world that really don't know that that's the case. Right. Um, and that just has a lot of implications on how we interpret the data that's come before. Um, so that was the first thing. I think it was even um, like one of the first sentences or something I read in the paper. I caught that and I was like, ooh, this is going to be good. <laughs> you know, like this is actually taking into account these variables that are real. Like this is real life. Um, these variables exist. Um, so, so that's huge. I mean, to interrupt you, but I just want to make sure we give the context there because some folks may not appreciate just how, how big that is. Right. Yeah. And even in clinical studies, you know, like there is also like, yeah. uh, a trend just to include more males than females because of the same reasons, you know, like there is a lot of variability because the menstrual cycle, but it's just like, well, you know, like we know now, and that's one of the points of the paper is just like uh, there is sex differences in, you know, like developing of uh, addiction, you know, like the uh, the mm -hmm. onset or, um, yeah, just to establish the addiction is just like faster in women than men. Uh, the withdrawal symptoms are worse in females. It's just like there is a lot of, res uh, of, of reasons just to study females uh, in, in basic research, but we haven't. Um, well, we, and the we experience started. of pain, too. Yeah, yeah. The experience a, of pain seems to be different as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other um, thing. There is like higher rates of, you know, like women living with chronic pain. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, Let's get into the, you know, the different variables and things that you monitored, because there's actually quite a bit. One thing I appreciate about the study is how robust it is in terms of really taking care to um, measure a lot of things, monitor, like you, you monitored when the cycles of these female rodents was changing mm -hmm. so that you would understand, um, you know, what's going on with their physiology when you're taking different measurements and that sort of thing. Um, so kind of um, unpack a little bit, what went through your mind when you're thinking, like, what do we need to measure in order to make sure that this data set is, you know, really solid? Yeah, I know it's a very big paper. And actually, it started growing and growing and growing while we were performing. That's how it goes, yeah. <laughs> so we were performing the experiments. I was like, oh, we have to do this and this and this and this. And it was just like... Um, Actually, we have more data that we didn't publish in this in this paper. But anyways, um, so basically, AD had the idea of testing, you know, like the um, co-administration of um, this whole plant extract uh, with high CBD and very low percentage of uh, CBD um, with uh, with morphine, pretty much um, in the context of of pain, like how. Uh, yeah. how that will be helpful, you know, uh, in uh, nociceptive stimulants. Um, but then I came uh, to her lab and uh, my experience in behavioral pharmacology, it started doing more like the um, uh, cognitive, you know, like uh, analysis and the anxiety mm -hmm. aspect. And then she also had in mind way before just to test the safety just the, the uh, how mm -hmm. how just the acute and chronic vapor inhalation of the uh, whole plant cannabis extract will impact just like very basic uh, variables of like 
you know, like health variables. Like uh, if if it has like some impact in the lungs, if in female because we we were using females, if 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 the vapor alters the um the the estro cycle, you know, and then I right. I came and it was like why we don't do like a behavioral analysis, you know especially because CBD has been proposed to be like useful for um, uh, cognitive impairment. Uh, it apparently mm-hmm. uh, people say that it reduces anxiety. It hasn't proved yet, you know, like experimentally. Um, and yeah. yeah, we started doing like all these, you know, variables and it, it ended up being a really, really big, big paper. So yeah, it started with the, um, with the safety profile, it was it was really really important just to see if you know having this chronic inhalation it was like for twenty days you know like two times per day, and that 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 time I mean we can say like it's just twenty days right but that time frame for a rat is just like really really big in a rat life. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was. So what we found, it was uh, actually, well, something uh, also important that you probably saw in the paper is just like we use, uh, we compare the um, the whole plant extract vapor to the, um, mm-hmm. to the excipient, you know, that majority of vapor inhalation papers or science use, which is a mix of um, vegetable glycerin and propylene glycol. Mm-hmm. Um, so people is, has been using this compound just, you know, as a vehicle to deliver vapor, right. different kind of vapors. Uh, and allegedly it was just innocuous, you know, it was, it doesn't have any effect. Um, but, uh, in recent years, it has started becoming more like, um, this, um, they started showing more evidence about how it can also have an, a negative impact in, in, the, in the lungs, um, yeah. in those, you know, like electronic cigarettes devices. Yep. So it was really, really important for us just to compare what happened with the uh, uh, cannabis extract versus this, uh, this vehicle. Uh, interestingly, we didn't find like differences, you know, <laughs> like, and we, we didn't have actual, like an actual reason to think that it, 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 it was going to be different. Sure, yeah. Uh, but when we compare, you know, like the, the, both the, the, uh, the, the whole plant cannabis extract and the, uh, the PGBG, because it's just like it stands for like propylene glycol and uh, vegetable glycerin, right. uh, with animals that we just put in the chambers without vapor exposure, then we saw a difference. So meaning that just the vapor inhalation itself has a negative impact in the lung side architecture. Interesting. Yeah. Regardless of whether it had the cannabis extract or it was PGVG, right. just inhaling that vapor, you were seeing some differences. I remember seeing in the paper, you noticed some lung, uh, some like airway abnormalities. Right. Um, and things like that that formed. And I want to make sure to um, highlight what you mentioned for everyone listening, that the extract that you used for this was a whole plant extract. So this wasn't like a uh, CBD isolate or distillate or something. Um, this was a, um, a full extract. I remember it even said where you got it from um, 
the Applegate, which is near where I lived in yeah. uh, Oregon um, back in the day. Um, yeah, that was also, and I think I'm sorry, that was also very important for AD, and you know, yes. like because uh, together with the um, with the fact that there is no females, you know, in cannabis studies, it was also historically all the cannabinoid research in in basic science has been mainly focused in. Um, roots of administration that doesn't represent what happened in humans. Uh, you know, it's yes, just like, yeah. um, we know that majority of users of cannabis is just like right now, like smoking or vaping. Uh, some, yeah. ha some of them have like preferences for edibles or tinctures, but uh, you know, like people doesn't inject cannabinoids and that was the main of uh, the main route of administration that researcher uh, or that people use in basic research. So for different reasons. Yes, that's a, that's a huge limitation to point out because I think some people really like to quote a lot of uh, preclinical research that's been done to date to justify a lot of marketing claims and things like that. And it is really important to point out that a lot of those studies not only used isolated compounds, but also they're injecting these things either directly into muscle tissue or directly into um, the blood or under the skin, you know, depending on what they're measuring. Mm -hmm. And and none of those administration methods relate to anything that people are doing in the real world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, there is a lot of, you know, like differences in the concentration that it reaches when, when people smoke it versus like when you administer something underneath your skin or, you know, in the belly or something, it's just like uh, the pharmacokinetics is completely different. The time, yeah. you know, like the time to reach the uh, concentration in blood or the, like the peak concentration in blood, max, like, yeah, yeah uh, or the absorption it's, itself, the metabolism, just like everything is different. So the whole experience is just like, it's it's not the same. Yeah, and it's something, it's like the theme of this research is like trying to, and like you said in the beginning, translational research, making the research, um, you know, practically representative of reality, you know, trying to, in including females, using whole plant extracts, administering it through a vapor. Um, you know, I think some people might gloss over these details if they just see this article pop up on Google Scholar or something and they're like, oh, that's cool. But like, this is not done. Like the, <laughs> the vast majority of research studies, and I can tell people listening, I've read so many of them. I can assure you that this is not common at all to see a study that is utilizing all of these components carefully to really try to represent what people are experiencing in the real world. And while, yes, there's always going to be limitations with rodents versus humans, um, I really appreciate the thoughtfulness that went into making this as translational as possible. And anyone that doesn't know that term translational just means, can we take the data that comes out of this rodent study and apply it to humans? And how well can we, you know, translate um, right. those, those findings? Yeah, again, we, um, are, we are just trying to understand what happened in humans you know, like doing preclinical research. So, yeah, we were far away to understand what, what was happening with females and uh, especially using this uh, route of, of administration, which is just the vapor, vaporizing the, the compounds. And yeah, the other thing you mentioned really important is just the whole uh, plant extract and not just like the pure, yeah. you know, com chemical compound from, you know, like, uh, completely uh, very synthetic uh, pharmaceutical provider.
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever effects that you're that you notice, you know that it's coming about in the context of this, um, you know, really polypharmacy, all of these different compounds that are in that botanical that are working together, which is is much more realistic. And um, let's set up, you know, kind of what the whole point of the study was. So you wanted to see how exposure to this vapor influenced um, both the, the effects of opioids as well as the opioid-seeking behavior mm-hmm. um, and in the context of um, neuropathic pain. Right. Um, so uh, talk us through a little bit about, um, you know, once you got all of these variables defined and you figured out what you wanted to measure, um, you know, you already said that these measurements went through a, a very long part of, of the rodent's, um, you know, life history, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get a, a, a lot to work with. Um, how did you measure the, the pain aspect? How did the opioid seeking, um, um, stuff kind of fit in? And then, and then we'll get into, to what you noticed, what you saw. Yeah. So <clears throat> the, the measure of like pain, we use like three different approaches, basically using mm-hmm. three different kind of stimulation, which is uh, mechanical, thermal, and chemical stimulation so the mechanical is just you know like uh, touching the pole of the rod with a with a small filament and see if they notice mm-hmm. that uh, it's not painful but uh, if they have like uh, this kind of pain or we call it allodynia you know which is an yeah. exaggerated response to a, a stimulus that it's not uh, it's not um, um, it doesn't induce pain itself you know in normal conditions but if you have the the the, um the condition in which you are experiencing an an exaggerating uh, response to to uh, this uh stimulus then you perceive it as a as a painful as a painful stimulus um and then we use the the chemical stimulation which is basically like um a chemical you know it's acetone and it induces like mm-hmm. this kind of painful reaction also in the in the pole of the rats. And the thermal sti- Yeah, probably a burning. Yeah, or something. like burning something. Um and the thermal stimulation is just, you know, like a like a light, you know, like if you apply mm-hmm. like um with a lamp, it's actually a, a kind of lamp that we um the, the source of the stimulus is a lamp underneath the pole of the rats. And again, it's just like we we make sure that they don't experience pain, that we don't damage the, the, the tissue or anything. Right. We cut off like way before that it induces a, a natural damage in the, in the, in the pole. Uh, so yeah, those were the, um, the approaches we used to measure just the pain. And um, we first were very interested to see if the um, whole plant extract inhalation in naive animals, no pain uh, produces any changes. Yeah. Uh, we didn't see any differences again, you know, like compared with uh, the vehicle, the PGPG thing, we didn't see any differences. So um, that was good. Uh, and then we we compared just the, the, the naive animals, just normal animals with animals in pain. Uh, animals in pain, I mean uh, that we did a procedure just to mimic um, this sciatic nerve kind of 
uh, chronic pain that we mm -hmm. experience, you know. Yeah. Um, so we pretty much cut the nerve and again, just the rats are like completely safe. Uh, we did, it sounds kind of weird saying like, oh, we cut the nerve, but serious is it's a very very mini it's invasive but it's not it doesn't um affect just the well-being of the rats they recover in 30 minutes and they're anesthetized yeah they are anesthetized first um we take care of you know like infections or anything we we take care of them uh we administer analgesics you know after that uh, not before the experiment, because, you know, that kind of mess up with the right. whole result. Um, so, yeah, all the experiments are, you know, performed like a week after the, the surgery. So they are completely fine. They move perfectly. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's what we did. And we actually found that uh, the chemical stimulation after the inhalation of the, this uh, high CBD cannabis uh, extract, um, the, the animals that we exposed to the, to the, uh, WPE, um, they, it, the WPE reduces the, um, you know, the, the, the perception of the pain, uh, induced by the chemical, mm -hmm. um, uh, stimulation, but not the mechanical and not the, uh, the thermal. So it, it was kind of selective, uh, just and different based on the, on the stimulus we, we used. Um, well, and that's interesting too, because I think folks, um, again, often don't think about the fact that we experience pain through different mechanisms right. in the body. Um, and so that's, that's interesting that, you know, the selectivity and, in, in how the whole plant extract is, is influencing the perception of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, I know as a, um, you know, I'm a medical cannabis patient with spinal cord injury. So I relate to this study mm. quite a bit because I deal with a lot of neuropathic pain. Mm -hmm. So anecdotally, I, I have experienced something similar that, that um, I can get relief from certain types of pain with cannabis and, and not okay. others. And like inflammatory pain and neuropathic pain are very different types mm. of pain, um, et cetera. So I just wanted to point that out because that might be a new concept to some of our listeners that there are different types of pain right um especially if you're not someone that lives with chronic pain you might not have thought about this before mm -hmm. yeah so yeah it was really really important just to find uh you know like um based on the different kind of stimulation the the the, the effects of the cannabis uh plant extract is just it's just selective some some specific stimulus so yeah yeah um, and where did the, the opioid administration, um, fit into this? Did you allow the rodents to, um, well, I think it's also worth mentioning, uh, um, the, the nose poke, um, model. So, so these rodents were able to learn how to, um, you know, trigger exposure to, to these different treatments. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So when I, when I say like, when I explain this chronic exposure and I say 20 days to times per day, that's just passive exposure, meaning that we put the rats in the chamber and then we turn it off and every 30 seconds they had a puff of, you know, the extract. And that's like a five second draw, yeah, it's right? Five seconds. That was, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they don't have to do anything. They just, you know, stay there for 30 minutes each time and it's, it's, it, they receive the, um, the puffs. 
but yeah, uh, when when I was talking to Adi and we were, you know, like kind of deciding um, what else we could do, uh, it was an obvious question. Like, what if he? It, we know that the uh, the percentage of THC was minimum was seven percent of something like that, but still it was there. And right. again, you know, like uh, previous research, they, sh they, 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 we knew that CBD doesn't have like reinforcing effects, you know, like animals don't, um, don't experience this, um, this desire just to administer itself compared to other right. drugs that yeah. they, they really like, like cocaine or heroin or something like that. Uh, but again, this was tested only, you know, in males using these vapor chambers or before using other kind of approaches like injections or orally. Um, so we wanted just to test the, the, the potential rewarding effects of this uh, compound in females through vapor administration. <clears throat> uh, so the nose poke part is that uh, the chambers have like two nose pokes um, like in opposite walls so the rats are the rats are very curious and they are very smart so they they go and they put nose in there and then they realize that there is a puff coming you know and after like several associations they are like oh if i do this and i i, I the, the environment changes they learn how to vape for themselves yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, again, we we wanted to compare the uh, the whole plant extract with high CBD versus the PGVG. Uh, so we did it again for for you know like um, I think it was twenty days. I don't remember that one actually. Um, yeah, I think it was, it was twenty that days. Sounds... Yeah, it was twenty I think days. It's twenty, yeah. Uh, but in this case, because it was just like an active exposure, it, it was not like we automatically, you know, like put all the settings. Mm -hmm. It was more like they were operating the, the environment. So uh, it was just one per or one exposure per day or one, you know, like uh, we put them like for 30 minutes and see what they did during 20 days. So basically in this kind of uh, designs, um, with uh, rewarding drugs, what we see, it's a curve of learning, you know, like at the, the very mm -hmm. first yeah. day, they are like, oh, you know, by coincidence, they either like press the lever or do the nose book and then they receive the drug. And over, the, over time, there is just like an inc exponential increase in uh, the responses mm -hmm. they do. So that's what we saw, but not with the... Um, with the cannabis plant extract we saw that with the pgbg thing and that was very very unexpected for us it was just like why they are administering the pgbg it was very weird when i was reading the paper i was like wait a minute what yeah like <laughs> <laughs> i mean we didn't have a reason just to think that they were gonna administer the the um the whole plant cannabis extract besides the fact that it has a little amount of thc and you know, like mm -hmm. the THC is just like the the um, the responsible of the rewarding effects. Uh, but it was like maybe it's gonna be enough the percentage just just to self administer. Uh, but no, they they didn't like the PGBG. You know, it's like eh. <laughs> they they did leave it like no spokes and just like no. 
but surprisingly, they did it for PGBG. And that was very, very interesting for us as well. Because again, majority of studies have been using this uh, compound as a vehicle, and as an excipient, yes, just yeah. to deliver other kind of drugs. And it's just like, but it has, uh, you know, reward effects mm-hmm. itself. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's something very interesting that that we outline in the discussion of the paper, just to be careful when, it, when interpreting like other other results. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> That's what I was going to touch on that this affects how you think about other results, because if there are other studies like this that are using PGVG or, you know, any sort of combination or separation of the two, um, this, this highlights that, you know, it's, it's not, um, not having an effect. Like it is definitely influencing the behavior of these rodents. And, um, and that has to be, taken into account because it's possible that there could be a conflation between thinking that, you know, that behavior was caused by uh, a cannabinoid when really maybe it was just caused by the vehicle um, to try to get those cannabinoids in the body. And if you don't understand that nuance, um, it can really confuse things quite a bit. Right. Yeah. We we were really, really surprised. Also, you know, like kind of tied together this, um, potential rewarding effects of PGPG with the lung damage, we think that it's really, really important, you know, just to consider that, especially because uh, we know that the PGVG and all the other excipients people use in the electronic cigarettes uh, devices, mm-hmm. um, they, um, they use high, very, very high temperatures, uh, sometimes up to, yes. you know, like 450 Celsius. And at that point, just the chemical itself changes just through yep. temperature. So uh, yeah, it potentially causes, you know, like damage to the, to the, to the lungs. Um, well, and I do want to point out too, I'm so glad you said that because um, one, another, again, the study was so carefully thought out, but one thing that um, you pointed out in the manuscript is that one of the first things you wanted to identify was what's the right voltage mm-hmm. and temperature um, for vaping so that we don't create these other compounds that are then going to just cause even more conflations and and conflicts and things in the data. So I want to point out to folks, you actually, you know, went through looking at different voltages, trying to see what, um, you know, things like benzene and other things are being produced and to get that voltage low enough so that you're producing a vapor, but you know that really it's, it's just got in it what you know, was in the extract and not, you know, a bunch of other things that may be causing damage. Right. Yeah. We wanted to make sure to deliver CBD and, you know, to yeah. reduce like all the potential like harmful uh, or yeah, harm effects of just, you know, heating up just the, the extract and uh, producing like, because especially because we were very interested in, in, in test the safety profile of the, of the uh, cannabis uh, compound extract. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's important for people listening, you know, that the temperature matters mm. quite a bit in terms of the safety of these products and that if people want to, you know, one thing that your your study highlighted is that, you know, one, vaping causes changes mm. in, in tissues. There's no way around it, even though it's presented as a safer alternative to smoking and, and all these things, it's still not without risk. Even if it's a cannabis vape, there's still... 
um, these changes that happen. However, if people are vaping, there are things they can do to enhance the safety <laughs> of of that. And one of the best things it seems like that they can do is keep that temperature low, right. so that they're at least only getting in what they intend to get in, and not all of these other um, byproducts. Chemical. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice that you mentioned because, yeah, we, we were also, you know, interested showing like how this false perception of vaping is say, a safer alternative to smoking, you know, because, and yeah. I see it right now with, with my clients, um, it's just like they are vaping and they are just like, oh yeah, this is nice and I'm not going to get like lung mm -hmm. cancer. I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> we, you don't know and we don't know yet. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's very important. Um, so going, um, you know, um, moving forward to the, um, the morphine and just the opioid cannabinoid interaction yeah. that AD was very interested also, you know, to evaluate. Um, again, we had like different variables. So we didn't test this specific thing with um, animals in pain. It was just naive animals, just no pain. Uh, and we use this um, really, really nice approach, which is the condition place preference. And it's very, it's just a paradigm that in, in, in behavioral pharmacology, we use a lot just to, um, you know, evaluate the potential um, addictive profile of a, of a drug. Uh, yeah. And it's just a very simple paradigm, but it's it's really, really beautiful, you know, because we don't train the animals. There is no reward itself. It's just like the natural behavior of the animals. And we, yeah, we yeah. evaluated, you know, like in this also very simple apparatus. It's just a three-chamber apparatus, and there is like, you know, three compartments. And... Two compartments are, well, the three compartments are different. The middle one is smaller compared to the side ones. Uh, and it's the middle one is, is, is called like the neutral chamber. And the sides are just like different in the color. Uh, the floor is different. It's just like different cues that rat can yeah. associate, you know. And randomly we pick one of the sides just to administer the drug. Um, so we use morphine, uh, and we counterbalance everything. It was just like for one animal, uh, the, the morphine side is going to be, you know, the, the side with the wa white walls and smooth floor. And for other animal what was just to avoid, you know, like, um, um, kind of like bias related to the, to the environment. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, what we did was that 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 approach, and the the design of the experiment was just to develop this uh, condition place preference to morphine, which is basically again we pick the rat, we administer morphine, and we put the rat in one of the sites, and we leave the rat just for like a few minutes there. And then they feel, you know, the, the effects of the morphine. And she's like, oh, I like this. <laughs> and um, like after seven <laughs> days, no drug. And we put them back in the neutral, you know, the middle chamber. And then the rat decides mm -hmm. what side it is the one they like. And of course, the one they like is the one they associate with the administration of morphine. 
So it's basically just the behavior of the rats are saying how rewarding is 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 the drug. So as yeah. as much time they spend in the in the in the side pair to the drug administration is just uh, higher is the, the the reward value. Uh, right. Right. So uh, the design of this experiment was just to develop the CPP, and then right before testing, um, you know, like without the drug, we put them in the in the chamber uh, and see if 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 the um, if the whole plant extract with high CBD kind of like reduce, you know, like this um, the reward value of morphine. And what we yeah, have, if they want to spend less time yeah, in that morphine right. room. So what we found is like, like actually, you know, exposing the rats to the to the WPE reduced the the reward value of, of morphine. It's just like compared to, to rats that they received only morphine and not they yeah. were not exposed to the to the um, whole plant cannabis extract. You know, they we saw a reduction in the place preference. It's just like they like they still like morphine, but the the reward value of morphine was not as high as the rats that, you know, didn't have um, yeah the exposure. Well, what was fascinating too, I remember reading in the paper is that while it while the whole plant CBD extract seemed to reduce the reward value. <laughs> You didn't see an influence on CBD's actual, um, like how the rodent experienced morphine itself. Mm. Um, and, and make sure to correct me if I'm summarizing that wrong. But um, I remember seeing that it, it didn't seem like the extract was, um, you know, changing much about the pain relief mm. that um, the rodent got from morphine. It's just really this reward, you know, association, the the feeling of like, oh, I want to use that again or, or, or be near that again. That And that's just a subtle difference. And it's it's interesting that it, it affected, you know, one without the other, because I think some people might intuitively assume that CBD would also um, affect the actual pain relief experienced by the rodents as well. Yeah, well... Uh, again, we this this set of experiments it was just uh, pain uh, naive animals. <clears throat> they they did they were not in pain. We evaluate yeah, yeah like co-administration of the vapor exposure and uh, morphine in another set of animals. But the CPP itself it was just like animals with no pain. But that was also, yeah just normal yeah right. just yeah just to test if if there is an actual you know potential. Um, uh, therapeutical effects of CBD because we kind of yeah, yeah. digging in the literature we know that you know there is less uh, over uh, overdose uh, uh, accidents or just less overdose yeah, incidents yeah. Uh, of opioids in the states where uh, cannabis is is legal and so. The main the main objective was to was to test if cannabis is useful to reduce the potential uh, liability of of um, uh, morphine. Um, yeah. So yeah, another like another like important thing in this set of experiments was the reinstatement, because you know once mm -hmm. we stop administering the the morphine to these rats, they they forget about it. You know after putting again and again without without morphing uh, administration yeah. they are just like the 
preference to the to the these chambers is just like they they don't show any preference. Uh, but as soon as we um, administer a really really minimum dose of of uh, morphine, then you know again they they the mechanisms all comes the, back. the learning and the physiological responses they they just go back, which is uh, it's it, it it is a model of of relapse in humans. Yeah, uh, right. You know, like people when people relapse, they 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 just need a minimum amount just to feel again all the uh, psycho. Right, just sets everything yeah. in motion. Yeah, all of all of that physiological memory. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's I think that alone is is also worth highlighting. Like that's a fascinating aspect of physiology um, mm -hmm. that you develop these associations and you can be, because again, we see this, you know, someone develops a, a problem with a substance, they go to rehab, let's say they go to a residential facility where they're there for 90 days or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so they're removed from all of these triggers and cues. They get into a, a new, you know, they reintegrate, they get into a new kind of a state of, of life and new habits, new patterns and everything. But it, it there's that memory that in your body is is all still there, right. and the tiniest amount of of reintroduction of of that whatever that was, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the chemical itself. It can be associations that were had with that chemical. But then all of that just comes rushing back, and I just that is very powerful to know and and it's not even just drug responses too because even like uh trauma responses mm -hmm. and they things trigger like that. memory uh, yeah yeah exactly it kind of sets a cascade of things that the body experienced in the past mm -hmm. and um i think that's a powerful thing for people to stop and reflect on of just how our bodies hang on to um these prior experiences and traumas um and while you know things can feel like they've gotten better or corrected um that all can just kind of be sitting there just below the surface yeah and this uh this this experiment is it's really really important in the sense that you know like uh for a, for trying to translate you know to to a human um perspective mm -hmm. it's just like for someone that has been using opioids for a, a several you know amount of time or like uh and then if you are exposed to to CBD, then your the reward of the opioid is not as big as a person. Or yeah. you know, in, in this case, it, it, they, they were rats. But the reward effect of the opioid is not as big as the rats that were exposed to, to the um, to the uh, CBD. So, and is this something that can be um, viewed like as far as looking at like the nuclear cumbens and some of the uh, parts of the brain involved in the reward circuitry. And, and this is me just kind of geeking out at this point, just thinking about um, how you, you know, you study these things. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just wondering, um, you know, sort of like what studies have been done, to like fMRI or, or otherwise to, to even um, look at that because now that this study has been done immediately i'm like gosh it would be fascinating to take people with substance abuse problems you know that are trying to get help going through treatment pro uh, uh, processes or whatever and actually hook them up to fmri and see if you can see 
a reduction in the activation of these reward circuits. Right. I would imagine um, in certain contexts, if it's measured the right way, you, you you should be able to see that. Yeah, I mean, after this, we started thinking like it would be great if we can do, you know, like these other approaches, just even microdialysis and measure like the release of dopamine after, you know, getting the yeah. morphine injection is like, yeah, the different, different approaches. And yeah, we just need the money and the time just to do the experiments. But yeah, the, the actual mechanism through which uh, CBD reduce the um the reward effect of morphine we don't know and that that's also like questions you know like oh we, we need to test like different drugs and see what what's the actual mechanism through um uh, right. cbds inducing these effects yeah 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 um yeah and it it it, and did you only look at um, morphine? I remember seeing a, a reference to fentanyl too, and I don't remember where I saw that or what that was in reference to. Yeah, um, yeah, we wanted to to test also, you know, like kind of in the same line, just to test if uh, the exposure to high CBD vapor was able to reduce um, fentanyl um, reward. But for fentanyl, mm -hmm. we used a, a complete different. Um, approach it was not cpp we tried doing the cpp but again we wanted just to do a translational research and fentanyl yeah. you know it, it's just like and also this is just a methodological limitation just like the half-life of fentanyl is really really short and yeah, yeah. um that explains you know why um, why people is just injecting over and over again uh, fentanyl because just the window is really really short so the effect is really intense for a few minutes and then just goes away metabolized quickly yeah. and excreted yeah. and start all over yeah. so for these we use uh, self-administration also in animals but it, it should be through the uh, the, uh, the vein so it was an IV mm -hmm. uh, self-administration and in this case we use we use um, animals in pain because um previously AD in, in in her in her lab when when she was a postdoc she published another you know like uh, a study showing that actually in males uh, the exposure to cvd not exposure it was just injected but uh cannabinoids reduce the the potential or, or the reward of uh heroin so we wanted mm -hmm. to test yeah. this again using, you know, using females, using uh, vaporized CBD. And uh, interestingly, it, we found another uh, uh, sex difference thing in the sense that our, our, our hypothesis was that uh, animals in pain or females in pain were going to, um, to administer fentanyl more than animals that you know, were uh, right. um, pain naive, and it didn't happen. It happened, you know, like Interesting. Uh, surprisingly, females in pain administer less uh, fentanyl than animals that are just uh, naive animals. So that that that's another big difference because again, AD um, in her previous paper they show that males that are in pain they administer heroin more than animals that are not experiencing pain so and is there any thought of why that might be um 
Well, we discuss a little bit, you know, like this is this is clearly uh, a sex difference. This is probably because of the uh, model of pain we use, you know, again, like mm-hmm. we talk about like how pain is just like we can we can produce pain by different ways, different stimulations. Or right. also it could be, you know, like differences related to um, the um, uh, the drug itself. Just maybe heroin mm-hmm. doesn't have like the same profile as fentanyl. So it was yeah. it, it could be, you know, like purely sex differences. It could be because of the um, administration of the drug. It could be because of the pharmacokinetics of the uh, heroin compared to fentanyl. So, yeah, we, we actually yeah. don't know. We can just, you know, like hypothesize that. Yeah. Speculate. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fascinating. That just opens up more. Yeah, you know, that's the great thing about good research is it always gives you more questions. You're always left with more questions to ask and more, right. more things that you, you want to um, see answered. Because, yeah, that is fascinating because that was my intuition as well, that especially given that, you know, the, the supporting data that, that females tend to experience chronic pain more, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just sort of a series of things you think, well, like, well, maybe the, the, maybe the pain's greater or something, or maybe, you know, there would, yeah, be. Well, yeah. Um, and there is also, you know, like, um, an hypothesis there that females, uh, experience pain different, you know, like the perception of pain yeah, in females yeah. is just different. Uh, so maybe, you know, like the motivation just to relieve that pain is also different. So that could be an option or like it's, it's likely to yeah, think that, yeah. you know, females are handling better just the, the, the pain compared to, to males. And it's just, they, they just don't need to administer the drug. Well, yeah. And I mean, it, it, it makes me wonder just from a very like practical perspective of conversations I've had with my wife, mm. um, where, um, we've speculated whether women develop greater pain tolerance, even though they experience more because they experience it so frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, like my wife has, um, dysmenorrhea. So very, very painful, mm-hmm. um, periods and things like that. And, you know, we've sort of joked of like, well, you've experienced so much pain <laughs> yeah. in, in your life already. So if maybe these, you know, other times that you experience pain, maybe you're just kind of like, your body's adjusted in ways that, that mine hasn't. Cause I don't experience that. Um, you know, it's, it is really, it's really fascinating. And it, and it does just highlight all of these nuances of why representation and biomedical research is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause something I wonder about too, with these sex differences is we see, you know, already significant sex differences in rodents and things like that. Um, when you start getting into human research, I'm wondering like, well, what do you, what would the differences be? Let's say in, you know, uh, someone who's undergoing like a hormone therapy, whether it's, um, um, like a gender transition or a cancer therapy that's dealing with hormone deprivation or, you know, any of these, these scenarios where someone is experiencing, um, I guess more or less kind of a traditional, atypical kind of hormone profiles. Um, how does that come up, you know? And and what sort of 
um, things should clinicians be thinking about depending on their pa their individual patient? Um, you know, there's a lot of implications to this line of thinking and and taking these considerations into this type of research that goes, I think, way beyond what what a lot of people. Um, you know, kind of immediately into it. Yeah, yeah. There is just a lot of uh, variables to consider. You know, in 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 management of chronic pain, just like age matters, sex matters. You know, like um, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's just uh, also like coming back to to the paper. It, it it's it's kind of interesting also to show that um, the. Uh, regardless of having pain or no pain, something just to confirm that, um, well, something that, um, it was it was nice to confirm this previous result in the CPP mm -hmm. uh, paradigm. It was also like animals, regardless of like the pain condition or not. Um, when we expose them to the, to the um, uh, WPE, to the whole plant cannabis extract, they uh, they administer less uh, fentanyl in general, so that was also really really important. And you know, it's 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 just like mm. this whole idea that using cannabis will be helpful just to stop this developing of um, um, opioid uh, dependence or opioid addiction. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much. Um... Yeah, there's a, there's so much potential um, in how to, you know, one just take the basic understandings from this paper and start to integrate them into how we think about um, drug treatment um, and that sort of thing. But then follow up studies that I imagine are probably already in the works um, in response to this to try to investigate um, some of these angles that we've talked about. These questions that kind of emerge from. Um, these findings. Um, this is huge. And I already realized, see, I told you at the beginning, an hour was going to go by <laughs> extremely fast. Yeah. And it already has. So I want to make sure to be respectful of your time. So I guess the one of the last questions that I'll ask you is, um, what do you hope that people take away from this study and in hearing us talk about it? And, you know, I'm going to push people to go look the study up and read it. Um, what do you, what do you really hope personally that they, you know, walk away learning from this study and, um, what do you hope to see in the future from, you know, potentially other researchers that, um, are investigating these interactions between cannabis and, um, and opioid use? What we found with, with this paper is that vapor inhalation of whole plant cannabis extract uh, with high percentage of CBD prevents the development and reinstatement of morphine. Um, so translating this into humans, um, so folks using cannabis extracts are less likely to develop addiction and relapse to opioids. Uh, the other thing I, I, I would like to mention is that uh, high CBD extract uh, was able to reduce some type of some types of pain um, without affecting the the response to other aversive stimuli. And again, here uh, folks will know what therapeutic strategy works best for them 
when using or combining extra uh, cannabis extracts um, to manage, you know, like either acute or neuropathic chronic pain. Also, we found that CBD vapor is relatively safe. Uh, and I'm and I'm saying relatively safe because we have to remember that the uh, exposure to vapor itself, uh, independently if it has CBD or THC or any of the just the vapor itself, uh, produces changes in the lungs morphology. And here again, it's up to folks if they want to continue vaping, knowing that there is there is. Um, uh, it it it's it's something in there um, regarding to uh, the use of uh, electronic cigarettes uh, devices. And lastly, I I would like to to finish saying that this is the direction science should keep moving. Uh, we need studies uh, attending sex differences, but not only sex differences. Um, age differences too. Uh, for years, in preclinical research, people use uh, young males only. So there is a there is a huge um, hole understanding what happened. Not again, not only with females, but uh, what happened during uh, development in utero. You know, like gestational exposure. What happened with with those subjects once they reach uh, the adolescence or the adulthood. Um, also, we need experimental conditions with high translational value. Um, again, preclinical research needs to attend uh, roots of, of administration and compounds that actually represent uh, what what's happening in humans? What that actually mimic what what uh, humans are using? Um, and again, just thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me, and thanks for the opportunity just to um, share a little bit about um, this paper. It was a it was a big big work with a great team. And thanks again. Absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a great message, and it it really highlights kind of um, the intersection of philosophy and science. Really, you know, it's it's one thing, like you said, to get in a lab and do all these things you can do and create all this data, but then at some point you've got to ask, what are we doing and why? And and that has to also guide the decisions that we make in the lab, so that the data that we're producing actually connects and isn't just data for the sake of data. Um, and I, I, I really like that because I think that's been needed for a while. I think for decades and decades, it's just kind of been a push to get graduate students to publish papers and make data. And that's kind of how academia has gone. Um, and it's, it's well past time to really focus on practical research and what is actually going to help people and drive decisions. And a study like this, you know, I think about people in like my wife's network of professionals, mental health counselors and stuff that are involved in drug treatment. This tells them, okay, if someone is trying to transition off of chronic use of opioids for whatever they've been using them for, or if they've been using them uh, recreationally or whatever, okay, so it's okay to maybe let them know that, you know, 
using CBD or a whole plant CBD rich extract might help in this transition period so that you don't, you know, feel as intense cravings for this compound or something, you know, it, it gives, it's, it's a very powerful tool for a lot of drug treatment people to really think about, um, cause these transitionary periods are the most critical ones. Usually when you're trying to get someone, um, you know, when they've been taking this for every day for 10, 20 years and you're saying, okay, um, we have to make a change. And, um, <laughs> that's a very scary change to make. Um, so having tools like this to know that there may be some ways to make this process easier, more comfortable, and more successful overall um, is huge, incredibly impactful to a lot of people um, around the world. So um, with that, um, I know I've, I've kept you about 10 minutes over, but I really appreciate you spending the time today and really unpacking the study. I hope that everyone listening will, will go read it and recognize what I see in it of why I'm so excited about it. And, um, yeah, I did, I did a live stream on YouTube just the other day, looking at a different research study, kind of going through my thoughts, how I think about research and the questions I'm asking as I'm going through it. And I used one that was a uh, very, uh, what I would say, I hate saying low quality, but I have a specific meaning when I say that, but it was kind of a low quality study in, in terms of its predictive power. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of on the opposite spectrum. And so I, I really like being able to point out to folks um, how to think about research, how to think about the implications, um, and how to properly guide our assumptions and conclusions that we make off of that. So this has been really, really valuable in a lot of ways, I think, in, in helping people not only understand this specific study and, and the implications of that, but also all of the work that just goes into trying to ask what sometimes seem like very simple questions um, and all of the different considerations and nuances that you really have to pay close attention to to ensure that the data you get at the other end is really useful and and valuable. So um, with that, I appreciate all the work that you've done, um, both in this paper and, and the work that you're continuing to do going into the future. Um, so thanks for everything, and thanks for being willing to spend time with our audience today. I really appreciate sure. it. Sure. Thanks for the for the invitation. You know, like again, it's just uh, it's very very important for me, especially for my background, especially for the work I'm 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 doing right now. I know science is just like a very very important aspect, but we need to start doing more clinical approach. You know, like talking more like yeah like per clinical research with, with, with clinicians. And yeah, sometimes again, I feel now that I part, that I'm part of the uh, clinical intervention uh, people, it's just like, um, yeah, there, there is a a huge gap, you know, like when talking about like Mm -hmm. neurotransmitters, when talking about like mechanisms, clinicians are just like oh no 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 those those concepts are just like we, we don't read it <laughs> uh, and and the, uh, on the other yeah. side is the same it's just like for people doing research they 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 don't know like you know how it's just to work with people with patients with like what are, yeah. what, what are their experiences just um, what they can do you know like you mentioned it's just like a it's, it's it's a very useful tool just to recommend people it's just like okay you, you don't stop just taking your opioid right because you are going to experience a really yeah. really ba- bad withdrawal so 
yeah, again, we are not encouraging just to use cannabis, but it, it's a powerful tool. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the data, the data is, you know, continuing to, to support that and to clarify the appropriate uses of that tool, right. which is something I, I always try to go back to is all of these things, they're tools. And really all this research is trying to figure out how do we best use this tool to do the most good and the least harm. Right. And that's really what it comes down to. So, yeah, yeah thanks so much for your work and um, everyone listening again. Um, let me repeat the title of the paper in case you listen all this way and you're ready to go look it up. It's High CBD Cannabis Vapor Attenuates Opioid Reward and Partially Modulates Nociception in Female Rats. Um, go look it up. It's it's a long one, but it is worth reading. Uh, a lot of good stuff in there. And um, yeah, it's, thank it's you so much. I hope we uh, connect again. <laughs> yeah, so that's, Yes, that's, it that's is. It's open enough. access. And thank you for thank you for making it that way, because I also know that it is it is not free yeah. to make things open access either. So um, I appreciate yeah. that uh, quite a lot and I hope others do too. <laughs> it's, it's, there's a lot of things in academia that people really don't. Yeah. <laughs> people assume that reviewers get paid. People assume open source articles are free. Um, yeah, none of that's the case. Yeah. Um, but anyway, okay. so with that, everybody, thanks so much for listening through the whole episode. I hope you learned a lot and I hope this has made you think a bit about some of the research that you see. And um, yeah, with that, everybody, I'll catch you in the next episode. Stay curious and take it easy. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more. Or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.